Good afternoon. You are listening to The Stoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and via podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Brought to you by our news team, Alexandra Fernandez, Chancellor Miracle, Chris Laurie, Zayden Vergara, Dinah Jansen, Erica Singh, Alex LaRue, and me, Kareem Mosna. We begin the scoop this week with some more perspectives from this past Friday's global climate strike rally that happened at City Park. This time, we're focusing on what individuals and organizations want to see from government. We start with climate justice organizer Jeremy Malloy, who was there on behalf of Just Recovery Kingston. Uh, We're a group that's aiming to build a city where we take care of the land, air, water, and each other. So obviously climate justice at the local level is super important to us. We created a municipal election toolkit with just recovery perspectives on most of the major issues we think are facing our community. That's climate, housing, transit, and local food. Uh, And we encourage people to check out those issues. Uh, They're practical policies that we think make changes that we need for our community, and we think they can be happening at the local level in the next term of council. Well, and and really, the climate emergency, the climate crisis, and the other issues that you mentioned, uh, housing and and all of those other issues, they're all connected when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, Pope Francis II talks about responding to the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor as one crisis, one planetary emergency. And it's true. Our our earth is hurting the same way as people are hurting because we treat people like objects and we put the pursuit of profits and wealth over taking care of our planet and taking care of each other. So uh, it's really important to think of uh, the climate emergency requires us not to just, you know, buy electric cars instead of gas ones. It requires us to shift the whole way of uh, life that we have. It requires us to shift from a uh, profit-driven uh, society and a materialist-driven society to a society that is about uh, living in harmony with each other and in harmony with the natural world and its limits. What are you hoping uh, people take away from today's rally? Uh, that we can do something and we have to do something. Uh The people uh, that are profiting from the current crisis depend on our apathy and depend on despair. They depend on us believing that we can't make changes. But in fact, that is what works and what has always worked. Uh, Power concedes nothing without a demand. And so I think people who are here today, thank you for coming out. I hope that you have a great experience today. And I hope that you take home the knowledge that it is by coming together, standing up and raising hell that uh, people and communities and movements win. And uh, as the city right now, we, we declared, the first candidate declared climate emergency. How do you feel that we're doing in responding to that emergency? I think there's positives uh, for sure. We did declare a climate emergency. We have some serious targets, uh, but we're not moving fast enough and we're not being creative and aggressive enough to respond to this crisis. Uh, you know, a, a fire in your house doesn't require you to move the furniture around. It requires you to uh, build a new house. And that's what we need to do. Uh, we need to increase the target to 50% emissions reduction by 2030 in line with the science. And we need to be start being serious about uh, transforming the city in terms of the way we do housing, the way we do transit, uh, the way we do energy, uh, in ways that are really, really uh, responsive to the true scale of the crisis. So I think we're off to a good start. Uh, but we really, I think there's a need for a mental and cultural shift to understand the fact that actually this calls us not to do just a little bit more it calls us to do things differently and do things better and and i think that we need to do that we need more green housing we need free transit uh we need uh green energy uh available to everybody in the community and we need to be moving faster on that than we have so far any thoughts on what we're seeing from this from the provincial and federal level right now 
well, the provincial government just uh, announced in court that their climate plan is a glossy brochure and not actually serious. They said that in a courtroom under oath. So our, pro- our province uh, is not serious about addressing the climate crisis, our current government, unfortunately. Uh, we had made progress in previous years, and our current government is uh, intent on rolling it back. I encourage people to connect with Ontario Clean Air Alliance, who are trying to phase out gas-fired power in this province by 2030. And in the federal government, we have a government that talks a lot and, and doesn't do enough. Uh, climate leaders don't build pipelines. They don't move ahead as aggressively with exploitation and extraction here around the world as the Canadian government does. However, in both of these cases, there are lots of people in Canada, across the country, who believe in these issues, who have power uh, if we come together and, and push for actually something better. Uh, once again, uh, the, the federal government believes that if they tell us they're doing something, we won't hold them accountable. And I don't believe that's true. I believe people are waiting for this government to keep its promises on climate. Okay, Jeremy, thanks very much for your time. That was my conversation with Jeremy Malloy of Just Recovery Kingston. Well, coming up on October 24th, less than a month to go until the municipal election. Undergraduate Queen's student Stephanie Sherman, who was also involved with 350 Kingston and the Kingston Youth Climate Council, shared some thoughts on what she would like to see when it comes to climate action locally. On the topic of climate, what is something that you feel... Maybe perhaps candidates for for mayoral candidates or even for council. What is it that um, that you'd like to send to them as a message? I would like them to make our climate leadership plan stronger. In December, they voted it in, they approved it, and the climate leadership plan, uh, which is Kingston's climate transition plan, pretty much, is is not strong enough. It's vague. The targets are not in line with the science. So, honestly, I would like them to to recall not recall it but bring it back and have it worked on more to be stronger and i think that's something that 350 kingston will be speaking on today and and have will be lobbying to work towards um but yeah i want the candidates to to build a stronger climate plan and also always vote with the climate crisis and the environment in mind because even projects that may not seem like it has to do with the environment probably do and if you're not actively if they're not if a project doesn't actively aim to, to reduce emissions or, or transition their society, then it's not the right thing. They should be, every project should be about um, about transitioning us to a low-carbon just society. Right. E- everything, that should be a key part of any sort of planning for mm-hmm. any project. Yeah. A- absolutely, yeah. The status quo is, is no longer what we need. Things need to change. What was the last question? So the last question was, uh, the city of Kingston was the first city in Canada to declare climate emergency have we responded appropriately to that emergency? Uh, no, we have not. Yes, the, the youth showed up to council uh, when they were allocating their funding uh, and told them we need to be prioritizing this, and council did hear them. And that is why the city of Kingston did declare a climate emergency how, and started working on their climate leadership plan. However, since then, we haven't seen the actions follow up with that. Uh, the climate leadership plan is not strong enough. They have not been transitioning and and focusing on the climate crisis near as much as they should be. Um, No, it has not been being treated like an emergency since then. And finally, what would you like to see in this climate leadership plan? Um, Of course, I'd want to see at least the emission reduction targets being what the international agreed upon targets would be, such as reduce emissions by 50% by 2030. Um, that's That's a big one because... That's, that's the bar. That's the lowest rate in the bar that we should be reaching. And, and unfortunately, we've only committed to reducing 30% by 2030, which is just not enough to, to prevent tipping points and keep our warming below 1.5 degrees. And lastly, 
from a perspective of being part of the uh, the youth council on climate change uh, what are your concerns as a youth seeing this all all coming up here um my concerns as a youth about climate change is having to like live with live with natural disasters live with displacement live with like global crises um you know see live with loss see loss around the world um you know climate change affects a lot of things it affects our food supplies it affects our oxygen and there are some incredibly scary numbers and predictions about what will happen to our food supply and oxygen and homes um if we don't do something so i don't know we really have to prepare for the worst and i've been mentally preparing for the worst um yeah that's my biggest concern is living through absolute chaos and crisis Great, Stephanie. Thank you very much, okay? That was my conversation with undergraduate Queen's student Stephanie Sherman. Now, here is Mayor Brian Patterson commenting on the global climate strike rally. I think what I would say there is that I think we all understand the, the, the challenge that's in front of us. Um, but it's not just about talk, it's about action. And I think as a city that we've demonstrated action, real work that's actually making a real difference. And I think that the more of that we can do, the better. Great. Thank you very much. That was Mayor Brian Patterson. Now, I also received a response from our member of provincial parliament, Ted Shu, who said in a statement, As the energy critic for the Ontario Liberal Party, I am committed to pushing for policies that can achieve the critical goal of reducing Ontario's greenhouse gas emissions by 50% from 2005 levels by 2030, on the way to net zero emissions for Canada by 2050. The current provincial government is not on track to achieve that, and so I will be working to pressure the current Ontario government to change its course. In addition, in the coming weeks, I will be introducing a private member's bill regarding the ability of municipalities to limit the net greenhouse gas contributions from new residential natural gas connections. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting through Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna, and I'm going to pass things over now to Zayden with your Campus Corner. Hello and welcome to Campus Corner. I'm Zayden Vergara. Here are your campus news headlines. This Friday, September 30th, is the second annual National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. To help students and faculty have time to reflect, all afternoon classes have been cancelled on Friday. Students and faculty are encouraged to wear an orange shirt to support residential school survivors and to show commitment to reconciliation. One of the Truth and Reconciliation events is the Sacred Fire. It will take place on Agnes Benedictson Field from 1 to 3 p.m. It will include ceremonial elements, remarks from local Indigenous and university leaders. The gathering reflects on the legacy of Indigenous residential schools and to reaffirm Queen's University's commitment to advancing reconciliation. Did you know that Queen's Student Wellness offers numerous wellness groups? Groups like Taming Your Anxiety, a psychoeducation group for students who want to gain practical skills to tame their anxiety. Students learn how to better understand signs and symptoms of anxiety and find evidence-based strategies to help them cope. Tame Your Anxiety meets virtually every Thursday from 12 o'clock till 1.15 p.m. For more information on Taming Your Anxiety and to see Student Wellness's list of wellness groups, go to queensu.ca slash studentwellness. Tomorrow, be sure to check out the Art Hive at the Agnes Art Center for a drop-in art and wellness class. Adults 16 years or older are invited to explore the creative process through experimentation and play. The Art Hive is free. Materials are provided and no prior art experience is necessary. For more information and to sign up, please go to agnes.queensu.ca and check out the featured events. 
I'm now joined by Tom and Mon of Two Creators of the Phase Maze Toy. How are you both doing today? Hello, thanks for having us. Uh, doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Can you tell us a little bit more about how exactly the Phase Maze works? Yeah, for sure. So the Phase Maze in itself is primarily used as an educational toy. Uh, it's a labyrinth maze where each level is interchangeable and it's meant for younger audiences, but also open to patients from occupational therapy as well. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, you said that this venture originated during your time in Chicago during the 2020 COVID pandemic. Can you elaborate more on this? So our school, my school, WPI out in Massachusetts, was offering uh, patents. They were incentivizing it to people. So at the height of COVID, we didn't really have a lot to do. So we gathered a team together of about nine friends. And we were like, why don't we just come up with as many inventions as we can and see what we can get patented? And something is bound to land. Like we're bound to get a patent on something. So we wanted to kind of strike gold on an idea. And Phase Maze happened to be one of six ideas that we came up with. Uh, when we approached my school due to budget cuts and uh, as a result of the COVID pandemic, they none of the patents got approved. However, like we originally had this rudimentary Phase Maze that was a very different toy than from what you see now. It had like tubes, detachable components. It was not targeted to be commercialized. It was just like a V1 approach to Phase Maze. That's really cool. Can you tell us more of the logistics of the research and development, the marketing, and all other aspects of getting your enterprise off the ground? Yeah, I guess I could start a little bit in regards to the prototyping. So I suppose one of the first obstacles that we kind of had to overcome was trying to find out what type of material was most suitable. So you needed to take into consideration all the different types of plastic, for example, that goes into creating uh, the maze, or if it wasn't even plastic, but the different types of wood or metals that could be used within the maze itself. So finding the right materials was most definitely a complicated choice, but I'd say even something that was much more difficult was finding manufacturing. Um, one thing that we kind of realized that when prototyping and starting low quantities, the cost of producing is extremely high. So we most definitely have gone through manufacturers and searched for quotes from North America to across the seas. And what we kind of realized was that uh, manufacturing wasn't really suitable, specifically molding at minimal quantities. So after all of our research, we ended up manufacturing uh, most of the products initially ourselves. Um, Mano, if you want to take it away with some other obstacles that we had in regards to uh, manufacturing and choosing material? Yeah, I mean, to manufacture overseas was uh, quite difficult for us to achieve. Um, there's a process for, there are a ton of different processes for manufacturing product. One of these is called injection molding. Uh, we were gunning for 3D printing, which is typically targeted at lower quantities, but it's more labor intensive which like, you know, we were, we were trying to get a lower quantity just to test how, if people would like the phase maze or not. Um, but because it's so labor intensive, they charge so much and that doesn't even include the cost of shipping it from one country to another overseas. So we were looking at like, just to make like a hundred phase mazes was anywhere from, you know, tens of, it was, it was about tens of thousands of dollars. It was, it was quite a lot, even up to a hundred thousand dollars. So we did not find that was viable. 
um, and neither was ejection molding because you need to order at least you know tens of thousands of phase mazes for it to be worth it on their end because you have to make a machine that makes some mold for the toy. Um, and the toy is just a bunch of several like detachable mazes, so we would need like a new machine for each type of maze. So uh, we ran into a lot of issues until we ultimately decided on manufacturing the toy ourselves. So you know it's it was a time consuming process, but it was one that eventually paid off. So if you had to give one tip to another startup on things to look out for or a, a special area of caution, what exactly would it be? I would say starting any company, regardless of what it is, is difficult. Like you could sell t-shirts, it's still going to be very difficult. Selling a toy we found was a lot harder than we initially anticipated. I mean, you have to manufacture the toy. You have to do research and development to make sure that the toy is viable. Um, you have to go through all the necessary legal steps to protect your IP. You need to package the toy. Um, and then you need to find a way to distribute it. You need to get people who are going to buy it. Like, how are you going to sell it? So we ran through problems every single step of the way. And I could be here for hours talking about it. But the big thing is to do all your research beforehand, before you invest a considerable amount of money into your project. And to get a strong team, like Tom and I worked extremely well together. and we, we were a very strong team working together. We have a couple of other guys on our team too. And we had team leads. We had people working in different sectors. Like we had a packaging team, an R&D team, a manufacturing team, a legal team, a distribution team. And people would often swap roles. But the important thing is also to become well-rounded in every single area of a business, um, as well as becoming extremely focused in the area that you are like supposed to be working on. Like there's just, so I guess the, the key takeaway is don't underestimate the challenge and also prepare for the challenge appropriately. Yeah. And I guess one last thing that I would add on to like the team aspect of it is like for a project like this, nobody is necessarily requiring you to do this project. This was completely voluntarily. Uh, and to succeed on a project like this and where you're just putting your own time into it, you most definitely need to take initiative yourself because throughout this whole entire project, there's nobody really pushing you to start a company. It's your own desire to want to do this. So surrounding yourself with the right people who also have this, I suppose you can call it like an entrepreneurial itch to push yourself to kind of do this is uh, extremely important because a lot of people say that they're willing to put in the work, but you know, there's only a very minimal amount of people that actually do that and go out of their day um, to really put in the effort to succeed. Thank you for your perspective on that. It's very enlightening to be able to hear just the amount of detail and effort you and your team have put in to the phase maze one thing I'm also curious about is the current timeline for your product and when we can get our hands on the phase maze. So we initially came up with the idea right in the COVID-2020, at the height of the pandemic. And around December 2021, we focused really hard on R&D and to make it a commercial product and to get a patent approved, uh, a provisional patent approved on the toy. From December to May, we spent a lot of time, you know, finding packaging, distribution, manufacturing, so that we could sell in the summer. And, and you know, in the span of nine months, we sold out our inventory of a couple hundred phase mazes and we're all back in school now. So it's pretty, it's very difficult. It was a very time consuming thing to sell all those phase mazes and, you know, to make it ourselves, to do everything ourselves and find people who would buy it, you know. So our main goal now is to take this toy to the next level. And we're really interested in getting distribution of some sort, a manufacturer distributor to, um, license the IP and, you know, make it accessible for people, like put it in retail stores like Target, you know, Barnes and Noble, 
something that, you know, with our time and our resources, we, we just can't make happen. But maybe a bigger company can come and grab the toy and make it bigger than it already is. And, and we saw a lot of interest for it too. And we're definitely extremely confident in the viability of the product and just how far we can, someone, you know, can take it. Yeah. And with that said, like, as we mentioned, like most of this was manufactured ourselves initially for the, uh, for the small quantities. And what we realized was, you know, we wanted to prove viability before approaching distributors. And the whole point of distributors is to make it widely available throughout the country. And if we're obviously producing this ourselves, it was most difficult, you know, to make a large enough quantity to support all the demand. But we decided to keep it very niche in the sense of local. Uh, we put it into our local toy stores um, in the suburbs of Chicago and other stores within the downtown Chicago area. And we realized that there was great success. And we wanted to use the summer as an opportunity to showcase that there was a demand and people are actually interested in this product. So as of now, simply because of uh, our responsibilities with school, um, we aren't necessarily manufacturing them at the moment, but given our past success within this last summer, uh, we're looking to find a distributor by the end of the year um, and start working on a plan to make it mass available throughout North America. We did it in such a short amount of time too. Assuming we had more time, we absolutely would have stuck with it um, and continued to sell. But you know, all, all of us go to different schools now. It's just so difficult. So our main focus is this, but we have some other cool stuff in the works that go along with the Phasebase brand that we're hoping to put out there. Uh, one thing I'd like to add is it, it, it takes about, for us to make a singular phase base, it takes 22 and a half hours of printing and a little over an hour to assemble each phase base. So, you know, it has magnets in it because it's a bunch of mazes that can combine together. So we have to, you know, put in the magnets. We have to do a lot of quality assurance. We have to clean all the mazes after printing. We're, we're prone to printing failures too. So we need to make sure we operate at maximum efficiency. So, you know, if someone else... Assuming a bigger company comes and takes the IP, they can injection mold it at an extremely fast rate because we proved there is demand. All we need is supply. Now, we, we frequently sold out and we weren't able to continue selling, which really sucked. But, you know, it, it, at least it was a good problem to have not having inventory and having a lot of demand. It's one of the better problems you can have. I really like the way you put that because it really demonstrates the amount of potential that the phase maze has. But on that note, I do want to thank both of you for your time. It has been absolutely lovely talking with you about the phase maze. And I'm so excited to see all the amazing places it can go in the future. Now over to Alex with your sports update. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex LaRue reporting to you from the CFRC's sports desk. Tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Queen's University women's hockey team will be taking on the Bishop Gators. On Friday, the Gales women's volleyball team will have a game against the McGill Redbirds here at home, and the women's field hockey team play the York Lions at 7 p.m. EST at Tyndall Field. There will also be a men's volleyball game against the Carabins and a men's lacrosse game versus the McGill Redbirds. This weekend is looking to be a busy one for the Gales, as there will be a few big club events like the Canadian Eastern University Ultimate Championships taking place and the University of New Brunswick Sailing Invitational. 
Some other big events that you should look out for on Saturday are the men's and women's soccer game against the University of Toronto. There will also be a football game against the York Lions at our very own Richardson Stadium. Sunday is just as busy with there being men's basketball versus McGill, lacrosse versus Nipissing, baseball versus Concordia, soccer versus TMU, and volleyball versus Sherbrooke. And for the women's, there will be a volleyball match against TMU, a fast pitch game against Carleton, and finally a field hockey game against the York Lions. If you're interested in attending any of these matches, all information can be found on GoGalesGo.com. That's all for me today. Now over to the community update with Chris and Chancellor. This is Chris, and I'm sitting down with Rob McKay from Joe's Mill to talk about their upcoming playathon and the Musical Instrument Lending Library in general. To get us started, would you like to introduce yourself and your role at Joe's Mill? Sure. Yeah, listen, uh, Christina, thanks for having uh, having me on. Uh, my name is Rob McKay, uh, and uh, as far as our interview goes, my most important part of my, uh, my task is I'm the Vice President of the Board of Directors of the Joe Chitlin Memorial Musical Instrument Lending Library. Uh, that we know better and and shorter as Joe's Mill, and uh, yeah, as as such, I you know, I just help direct uh, the board's activities, uh, as the board directs, um, uh, you know, fundraising and day to day operations and long term planning and all that good giga for uh, a pretty pretty important um, organization in town. Awesome, yeah. And for those who don't know, you already said the full name, so I guess people get sort of an idea. But what is <laughs> Joe's true. Mill? What do you guys do there? Well, we um, the, the mill was established uh, about 20 years ago uh, as, a, as a memorial for um, a fellow that I went to school with at Queens named Joe Chitlin, and Joe played uh, with with all the all the players in town, all the major players. Everybody everybody did shows with Joe. Um, you could count on him to be uh, spot on musically, but just a really good guy to play with. Um, and uh, at some point um, in at some point during his time at Queens, he'd mentioned to a couple of people how great it would be if he thought that, that everybody uh, would have the chance to play an instrument. And so after Do Joe died, he was touring with a band called the Mahones in Amsterdam. And um, his family and, and friends put together this really, really tiny little shop, essentially, that um, would lend out instruments that were donated. And... Um, it's grown and it's really big now. Um, it began with just a few instruments in a very tiny spot. And now we do more more than a thousand uh, instrument lo loans a year. We support uh, school programs uh, all over Kingston. Uh, we make um, major loans to, like we just, we've just sent uh, a bunch of instruments to a community in Cuba and one to a First Nations uh, community in, in Northern Ontario. Um, and just all channeling all the the goodwill and and the um, the helpfulness and the graciousness of people <laughs> who donate money and donate instruments to us to get them into the hands of, of people who need them and who need to play them. So much awesome stuff. And coming up next month, I was wondering if you want to talk about your playathon that you guys are having. Oh, do I ever? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, some of your listeners are way too young for this, and some are <laughs> of my vintage and may remember the MS readathon when we were in public school. And mm -hmm. uh, the playathon that we're running runs essentially the same way. So what we're what we're hoping is that people will go to the Joe's Mill website, which is joesmill.org, and um, download a pledge sheet, a pledge sheet, and um, uh, a playing log, and record their playing over over the course of October and uh, gather sponsors to sponsor them either by hour of playing or just a flat rate. Um, and, and 
when I talked to a bunch of music teachers about this, I floated this idea in May. A lot of them were really happy, right? Because this is the time of year um, when a lot of people are back at their studies, right? A lot of people take breaks for the summer, uh, but whether you're starting a brand new instrument in a school program or you're just back taking your private lessons, um, things are kind of settled down in October and people can really dig in. So we're hoping that while we raise money to, to keep doing the good work that the mill does, that we can help um, uh, players of all skills uh, develop really um, sustainable playing habits, right? And just uh, because because if you play, you know that that's the thing that helps you get better. Mm-hmm, definitely. And then also for the playathon, there's prizes, right? There are some great prizes. Ooh. Yes, there are. There are. Um, the mill is donating several pr- prizes. We've got a, um, a, an electric guitar and amp. We've got an acoustic guitar. We're doing a keyboard. We've got a set of drums. But we've also got some really uh, some really interesting, uh, wonderful um, support from loads of um, businesses in town. Uh, Long and McQuaid and Arden's Music have both donated. Uh, Brian's Record Option. Um, Trailhead, I believe, is is in on the is in on the scene. Um, and we also have music lessons being offered by a number of, of local musicians, including Rob Baker from the Tragically Hip, who is going to um, offer a couple of people uh, um, uh, a couple of lessons. And so it's pretty excited. Rob Rob's excited to, to help us out. He and um, uh, Gord um, and uh, Paul Langlois have done a really nice video for us that we've got up on YouTube. And uh, those guys played with Joe. They knew Joe and they're very happy to support us. So it's it's really a big deal. Definitely. And where can folks find more info and keep up with Joe's Mill? Well, the, the primary the primary place is on, is on our website, mm-hmm. uh, but you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And um, that's, that's pretty good, right? So joesmill.org, all one word, joesmill.org. And as I say, Twitter and Facebook, you can, you can search us out there. All right. Fantastic. So that was all the questions I had for you today. Thanks for sitting down with me. Well, I appreciate your time, Christina, a lot. Awesome. And now over to Dinah with the weather. Thank you so much. And now it's time for the weather report. Tonight, we are expecting cloudy skies with a low of plus five. On Thursday, September 29th, we will be seeing clearing in the morning with winds north at 20 kilometers an hour, becoming light in the morning with a high of 15. We'll have clear skies at night with a low plus two. For Friday, September 30th, the outlook is sunny with a high of 16 with clear skies at night and a low plus four. On Saturday, we're expecting cloudy skies with a high of 18, but clearing in the evening with a low of six and on sunday we're expecting sunny skies with a high of 15 and at night we'll have clear skies with a low plus two and now over to alexander fernandez with the city of kingston traffic report i'm alexander fernandez and here i am with this week's traffic report brought to you by the city of kingston alfred street from pine to adelaide will be closed from tuesday september 27th at 7 a.m to october 3rd at 7 p.m Garrett Street from Division to University will be closed until October 16th. King Street from Place de Arms to the Tragically Hip Way will be closed Tuesday, September 27th to Wednesday, September 28th at 2 a.m. Lower Brewer's Swing Bridge will be closed until further notice. Stephen Street from Montreal to Patrick will be closed until October 31st. Stephen Street from Patrick to Cowdy will be closed also until October 31st. The Tragically Hip Way from King to Ontario will be closed on Friday, September 30th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. 
Toronto Street from Brock to Johnson will be closed from Monday, September 26th to Wednesday, September 28th from 7am to 7pm each day. And Wright Crescent, the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace, will be closed until January 31st, 2023. Please remember that the following streets are closed from 8.40am to 9.10am and 3.20pm to 3.50pm on weekdays until June 29th, McDonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. Some general notes for you, access to the library parking lot has been moved to the new entrance at Point St. Mark, access to the Pittsburgh library parking lot will be maintained at all times and the cycling and pedestrian signals have been activated to assist cyclists and pedestrians in crossing the road at Gore Road and Highway 15 intersection, and this is in relation to the third crossing road work. You can expect a lane closure on Brock Street from Toronto to McDonnell from September 26th to Wednesday, September 28th from 7am to 7pm each day. Front Road from Sandy Bay Lane to Country Club Drive, you can expect traffic delays because there is only a single lane in each direction until the end of 2022. Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, you can expect delays there as well. Jackson Mills Road near the KNP Trail will be reduced to one lane for roadside safety improvements. Johnson Street from Barry to Clergy, you can expect a lane closure until October 3rd. Johnson Street at McDonnell, you can also expect a lane closure from Monday, September 26th to Wednesday, September 28th from 7am to 7pm each day. And Sandy Hill Road, city limits to 5 kilometers west of city limit, you can expect delays until November 16th. That's your weekly traffic report brought to you by CFRC as well as the City of Kingston. And now we're going to throw it over to Dinah with our events calendar. Welcome to the CFRC events calendar for Monday, September 26th through Sunday, October 2nd, brought to you by queensevents.ca. Coming up on Friday, September 30th, Canadian folk singer-songwriter Baja Bulat will be at the Isabel Bader Centre for the Performing Arts for this public concert. Tickets are available now at the Isabel Box Office online at queensu.ca slash theisabel with discounts for faculty, staff and students. Also on October 1st, tickets are available for Navrati Garba, an Indian folk dance celebration with a live orchestra at Portsmouth Olympic Harbour. Find a link for more information at queensevents.ca. Also happening this Friday is the home opener game for the Kingston Frontenac's 50th anniversary season. The puck drops at 7 but arrive early to enter fan contests along the concourse at Leon Centre. The Gales are back in action this weekend with a field hockey game on Friday night at Tyndall Field across from Goods Hall starting at 7 o'clock followed by our next football game on Saturday, October 1st at 3 p.m. It's the Queen's Gales versus York University Lions. All Gales games are open to the public and you can tune in to the football game live with CFRC Gales football host Jesse Bell right here on 101.9 FM. Wear gold, red, and blue and cheer on the Queen's men's lacrosse team as well on Sunday, October 2nd at 2 p.m. as they take on the Nipissing Lakers at Tyndall Field. And if you love to read or write, don't miss Kingston Writers Fest running from Wednesday, September 28th through Sunday, October 2nd. There are more than 30 events over five days, including a conversation on Saturday night with Carol Off and a panel of authors who are looking into the weaponization of words and what it means for society. You can find out all the information about Writers Fest at kingstonwritersfest.ca.
Are you a trans, non-binary, genderqueer, two-spirited, gender-fluid, or any other non-cis-gendered person who wants a safer space to swim and also meet other students and folks from the wider trans community? Join Solidarity Swims at the Ark Pool bi-weekly, Fridays and Sundays. You can even bring a cisgender friend or loved one. Learn more at queensu.ca slash yellowhouse. To register for these and all other upcoming events at Queen's and downtown Kingston, look up queensevents.ca or follow at Queen's Events on Instagram. Finally, mark your calendars for October 1st as Stone City Brewing Company launches a new beer called Tune In to commemorate CFRC's 100th birthday this Saturday night. Join us for tasty food and a DJ dance party October 1st at Stone City starting at 7 o'clock. See you there. And that's a wrap for this edition of The Scoop. Subscribe to The Scoop podcast on Spotify and iTunes today. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM here in Kingston. We'll be back on Monday at 5 for Today in YGK with more in local and campus news. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.